Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Dangerous Rhetoric. Uh, this is episode 121, I think yes. it's been. And this one has been a while coming. I wanted to have Mr. Phil Illy, who we had previously on, and Miss Laura Becker back. She's a regular recurrer. To just, you know, give us some story time, talk about a little drama, and also to highlight kind of this overall idea of how, you know, even within the sort of like movement to stop children from being genitally mutilated we have like a lot of just drama that just flares up on the sidelines because mostly because of the feminists but we'll get into all that in a bit that there, there um, are definitely different factions all fighting the same cause but who think that the cause is their cause and that's kind of what I find is the issue here, especially with the feminists, because there's also to... a lot of feminists that really just don't like men. Well, period. my so I will start right off with that. And this is my main issue with the gender critical feminists or the actual terms. Well, before you get into it, Daniel, let's just yeah. introduce uh, Mr. Phil Illy to my this way is uh, author of Autogynophile. He wrote a very interesting book on the subject. Um, and Miss Laura Becker is down here some oh my gosh my hands um she's down here there we go laura is a uh reader reader writer substacker she has experience you know going through the detransition transition pipeline um her story is fascinating we've covered it in past episodes of dr and daniel's my co-host he's like you know he's here all right daniel if you guys go on the website, you can find a letter that Laura wrote to the surgeon who performed the double mastectomy on Laura. So that's really fascinating. I highly recommend everyone go check that out and read it. But thanks for coming back on and chatting with us. And nice to meet yeah. you, Phil. Yes. Yeah, so, Miss Laura, why don't you start and you can tell us the story of the GenSpect conference and the drama <laughs> that, that subsequently fell out therefrom. The angry turfs. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, yes, I'm a detransitioner, um, and I've spoken about a lot of reasons behind my um, gender issues, and um, part of those issues relate to trauma. Part of them relate to autism, and then part of them relate to sexual and romantic issues that kind of stems into what Phil has written about and kind of his expertise. So this conference, it was in Denver, November 2023, and it was just a group of a lot of different concerned individuals, therapists, parents, detransitioners, um, you know, academics, and then just everyday people that are, you know, journalists or whatever. So it was a very eclectic bunch. It's, you know, it's supposed to be a alternative to WPATH, which is, you know, completely uh, suppressing a free speech or free thought. It's very culty over there. And so this was supposed to be the alternative to that. Um, so what the controversy was, was at this conference, uh, Phil and I were talking um, about just a variety of, you know, anecdotes just between us and then Someone came up and said, can we take your photo? And I was like, yeah, I made a joke um, that I'm going to be seen publicly with an autogynophile because I already knew that, you know, <laughs> there is controversy, but obviously I don't care because I believe in freedom of association. So I we took the photo. It was posted on Twitter by GenSpect. 
And the conference went amazing. Everyone, you know, made a lot of friends and it was just a really heartwarming and really productive experience felt by pretty much everyone there. Um, but then after the conference in the next one or two days after people who didn't attend the conference, who don't do that much for the movement started complaining, of course, and they uh, started making comments that Genspect was, uh, you know, pushing autogynephilia, that they're pushing a predator on their platform. And so one of them, that was probably the main accusation was just that Phil, you know, is, is a groomer and he's there to groom um, vulnerable women and men into being autogynephiles or autoandrophiles. And the other criticism that, that was directed at me was that, um, that Phil is just his presence or speaking with me is, is, you know, I'm a victim because we interacted and that he's harassing a vulnerable young detransitioner and grooming yes, them because you have no agency at all. I don't, yeah, I'm, yes. I really don't have any agency, uh, even though I was 26 at the time. Um, but so that was one of the criticisms. And then when I started seeing this, of course, I was like, well, that's not my experience. Um, I consider Phil to be a friend. We knew each other before we met at the conference. I obviously was willing to talk to him for a number of hours um, at there and afterwards. And I'm, I'm not a victim and I don't appreciate my story being used that way. Um, and so that sparked a lot of controversy against me. Um, and then I saw that Kelly J. Keene, uh, the most like, famous British feminist uh, at this time, did a four hour long Twitter space about the conference and I'm like, okay, um, so this is gonna be a huge scandal. And now she wasn't there and she really didn't have reference for, for Genspect. She hasn't worked with Genspect versus someone like me. I've worked with Genspect for years, even before they officially were created in public, I worked with them. So I'm a pretty loyal um, colleague of Genspect and Kelly J. Keene and others were defaming Genspect and saying that they're going to become the next W path. They're a cult. They're pushing trans ideology by allowing this, you know, perverted predator to be at the conference and just overall libeling and slandering me, Genspect and Phil. And so I got even angrier because they're not only attacking me and my friend, but also the organization that is where I've sought therapy from that's allowed me to you know, have agency to heal, to, you know, get my shit together. You know, I owe the therapist at Genspect a lot. Um, and so that again, sparked even more controversy. Many videos were made. Everyone started jumping in and having an opinion. And it was primarily gender critical feminists who had a problem with Genspect allowing Phil to be there, Genspect linking Phil's book as a resource and um, then some, certain feminists saying that I can't trust my judgment and that I am not trustworthy as a resource of any sort of knowledge because I was once in the cult. And so I can never trust my judgment again. Um, and a lot of infighting occurred and then James Lindsay got involved 
and James Lindsay doesn't give a shit about anything, which is why I'm friends with him. And so he started um, getting into it with the feminists. Um, yeah, I've, seen, so, him. I've so, seen him get into it with them before. Yeah. So, um, you know, overall, it was just really disappointing. I mean, I kind of joke about it now that some time has passed, but it was very disappointing at the time um, because the conference itself really was so powerful and productive. You feel like it kind of spoiled some of it for you. Hmm? You feel like it sort of spoiled it in a sense for you. Um, um, the conference itself, I don't feel was spoiled and I just deepened my friendships and forms new friendships there. I don't have any issue with the conference, but I feel like Jen Speck's reputation has been really ravaged since then. And the whole point about Phil, why he was there was to um, just spread some awareness about um, autogynophilia and autoandrophilia and just to provide a deeper perspective based hmm. on the research and personal um, anecdotes about why young people are seeking transition. Um, and so I'm totally on board with that. I might not agree with every single thing that Phil writes in the book. I haven't read the entire book, but I'm totally for the just, you know, freedom of of expression and freedom of speech to to think about these different ideas and to just have as much knowledge as possible about the reality of the sexual and romantic issues related to why young people are transitioning and then perhaps how to um, take the best course of action that's healthy. Well, you know, we're all about having the taboo, difficult discussions. Um, we don't care about how others look at us for say having someone like phil on the show i think i've said before on one of our live streams like like if i want to talk to a serial killer i'll bring a serial killer on and talk to the serial killer it doesn't mean i'm a serial killer and i agree with serial killing or whatever the point is i i, I want to talk to whoever i want to talk to that is interesting to me and is willing to talk I, it doesn't have to be someone who i have anything in common with at all <laughs> necessarily mm -hmm. um with that said I don't know Phil necessarily, and I will get to him, and I want to hear his perspective on some of this stuff. But I do know you, and I can vouch for you, you know, and whatever anyone says about you outside of this conversation, you know, I will never throw you under the bus over these things. And that's what a lot of this media market shit becomes, is, is you know, we can get into the sex lectics aspect of it. You know, I know Brent loves that conversation. We love to talk about that with our friend Basil. And he's another example of someone who people would love to see us throw under the bus. But a lot of this media market stuff, it does become very like clicky. And there are these different groups. There's like the homocons and the LGBs without the T's. And, you know, and then, <laughs> and then, then there's like the ones like us who just kind of threw all that out. And we're just like, I don't want to be in the LGBs or the T's or the any of that. I just want to be a person. And then there's the detransitioners, right? And they're kind of intersecting these different circles because like the conservatives treat you guys a certain way. But I think a lot of times they are just kind of parading you guys out to make their own political points. I do see some of that happening. And then there is another aspect of it too, where there are a lot of detransitioners who are still dealing with their own traumas and personality disorders and shit. So there, there's also that, like a lot of them, I think are paranoid because of one, how they're treated by the conservatives, two, how the left casts them out already. And then three, they're dealing with 
who knows what other issues that led to their initial problem. So it makes them harder to like to trust people for them. And I get that too. I understand that. So people like you, when they are willing to talk, I want to listen. And the same goes with Phil, which brings me, I guess, to him now. And I want to hear some of his perspective on this. I don't know too much about you, Phil. Obviously, I'm not an autogodophile. I can't speak to any of that. Um, I'm sure some people will probably not like the fact that we are talking to you, but you want to talk and you have things to say. So how did you get involved in this stuff? How did you meet Laura? And why did you decide to even admit to the world that you are an autogynophile, no matter how that's going to be perceived by people? Oh, so I got, I found out about autogynophilia in, in spring of 2019. And I got obsessed with reading about it because I was thinking, why didn't anyone tell me about this? Why have I been you know, privately dealing with gender issues and dissatisfaction with being male for all these years. And no one thought to like, just explain what's causing this. And so it, it, I got obsessed with reading about it and learning about it. And it got to the point where I knew too much for it to not turn into some sort of deliverable, like such as a book where I could share what I learned with others of my kind so that they could figure out themselves better, better understand their gender feelings. And my hope is that by better understanding their gender feelings, a higher proportion of them will make the right decisions for themselves, whatever those are. I'm kind of like agnostic about whether people should or should not transition. I'm, I'm neutral about it. I, I think it's a very individual decision and um, there's no blanket rule that will fit all of the people. And so I, I just want to help arm all the individuals with the knowledge to help them make that call for themselves. And so that's why I was at the GenSpec conference and it went well, the conference, everyone there pretty much got along. People had a great time. I don't think anyone had any idea that there was a Twitter shitstorm about to erupt. And it wasn't until about two, day, two days later that it started and it started with Kelly J. Keen quote tweeting that picture of me and Laura and putting Genspect on blast. Like Kelly J. Keen really, I think is the one that is most responsible for kicking off this whole controversy and the struggle session against Genspect. Sorry, I wanted to interject before I forget, but you brought up James, James Lindsay earlier, Laura, and he experienced a very similar thing to what you're going through right now because of a photograph he took with Nikki Klein um, <laughs> at yeah. the, it was a, what conference was it in Texas? It was Graham? a misinformed event. The Better um, Discourse Conference, I think it was called. It was the Better and Discourses. Yeah. yeah, we met James there too. Dallas, we, Fort Worth. Yeah, we, that was where we met James. We spoke with him for a bit. You know, he's a very interesting guy. But backstage, he had taken this photograph with Nikki Klein, who was part of that's Nikki. It was Nikki Klein, right? That's yeah, Nikki Klein. She was part yeah. of the um, next Nexium Nexium sex cult, and she has thing. very controversial opinions yeah. about the FBI setting yes. up the sex cult leader whose name I can't remember. Well, she's actually also since finally turned against him as well. She made not too long ago, a few months ago, she actually walked away from the whole thing and isn't even defending that guy anymore. Either. Well, good for her. I mean, this yeah. has just been like a huge chapter of her life. And, and, I'm hoping and, that she can and, 
we ate lunch with her. I remember she's we a very nice lady. I spoke with her a bit. You know, she seemed like a nice person. I didn't get any. She's very based when it came to the FBI being like you know yeah. criminal. But the point is, because of her past and because of that stuff, uh, she has that bad reputation. You know, and then James had that picture of her, and then that ended up being used against him on Twitter. It went viral. A bunch of people like kind of turned against him, or even worse, there were people who just did not defend him. And I did have a bit of an exchange with him on Instagram about that. And he said, yeah, you know, it was, it was disappointing that there were just a bunch of people who it, it had like this very like Maoist China kind of struggle session um, feeling to it. It's and I feel tribal like, at its core. Yes. You know, Kelly J. Keene yes. especially has become like emblematic of the feminist response and invasion, I guess we could call it. Yeah. And, you know, like they really don't like men and that's like normal baseline um yeah. and then when you add in you know gender bending men that's like the extra like they're like Rrrr! like yeah. they but it's it you know and this brings me to the point i was going to make at the beginning of the episode where we started talking and my issue with the turfs um in particular is that everyone wants to claim this fight as their fight it feels instead of just saying it's it's our fight it's it's a, a lot of people want to get up on the cross yeah. instead of carry the damn thing it's like i'm sorry but <laughs> if you tell me like oh the transgender ideology stuff is a men's rights movement that tells me you don't understand the phenomenon we're dealing with or the complex social um ramifications of the whole thing the fact that it is mostly women who are who are socially enforcing all of this through hr departments and all sorts of things like yeah you have people like phil actually committing and i'm not saying you are phil but i'm saying other autogonophiles yeah there are ones ending up in bathrooms and places like that and doing perverted shit but the point is a lot of women have created the environment now culturally of oh we need to protect everyone's feelings and coddling that led to this very scenario so i don't want to hear this shit that like oh it's just it's all men it's all men it's like no nah, your sisters are very responsible for this too one two boys are also being hurt boys and men also deal with the gender confusing shit you know and a lot of them are also being pulled into this and the same way that there are women, uh, sorry, men pretending to be women as a costume, right? Men are also being worn as a costume. And Laura, you're a good example of someone who used to do this. You know, you, yeah. you wanted to be, and more specifically, you wanted to be a gay man. Yeah. And it's like, wow, you're like, you're wearing me as a costume. It's like, why am I not mad at all the women who are doing that and saying, well, that's a women's rights movement. You guys are fucking stealing my masculinity and invading my masculine spaces. Also, the ladies so, like to stop get, this shit. The ladies, you know? especially the turf ladies and the feminists, like to make it all about themselves. Yes. And they like to ignore the fact that it impacts straight men. It, inf it impacts uh, a human issue gay right men. Now, it impacts, you know, everybody. Like Humanity. This is like they're erasing biological reality itself. That, that affects men and women. This is not something that is simply affecting women. You can't claim that this is just this is a fight for women. And then when men step in or like, you know, people like Billboard Chris become very popular, you get mad that he's getting the message out there better than, than some of these women. It's like, who cares? The point is he's getting it out there. Like it's it's to a point, you know, in, so in the last episode, you know, Phil and I talked about a lot of uh, how the most extreme uh, medicalization individuals tend to have most of the symptoms of autogynephilia. 
And, you know, they were never explained anything about autogonophilia, you know, like, um, I feel you could go into a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, they're it's just taboo. They're, it is taboo. They're getting about. medical treatment without knowing why. And the doctors don't know why. And there's just, there's ignorance on both the side of the patient and the clinician. And I, I just don't think that the situation is optimal for people's well-being. If, if you keep this important information from clinicians of knowing some basics like, hey, did you know there's two different types of gender dysphoria? Mm -hmm. And here's how to tell them apart. You know, really, base, really basic yeah. pre-101 level stuff like that. Most of them don't have even that. And so they're, they are not equipped to do their jobs because they just don't know jack shit. Can I ask you something? So do your your level of gender dysphoria, do you feel or experience discomfort from your secondary sex characteristics, say when you look in the mirror or that sort of thing? Sometimes, yeah. But okay. it's it's like it's a continuum and it, it's not a constant thing. And there's also the fact that <clears throat> like if, if my physique was different, I probably would be transitioning, you know, based on, you know, like if, if passability was, was possible. Um, but it's not. And so that's my situation. And I make my decisions within the context of my particular skeletal situation. Yeah. Interesting. Cause we, we spoke with Sarah Higdon about this as well. And that was one thing that Sarah talked about is just that, that intense discomfort from the secondary sex characteristics and that's that's kind of what we're dealing with but it does feel like yeah there's an overlap with that but the autogynephilia thing is another thing that's like it might not necessarily be that you have the discomfort with the characteristics it really is just the arousal out of dressing up the other way like you might not even well, want you know stuff like that because i know some of it's not yeah. autogynephilia is not in my experience and a lot of people's experience is not like principally a matter of arousal. Like it impacts how you see yourself and feel about your gendered characteristics for throughout your life. And as your personality develops throughout childhood and adulthood, it's that aspect of your psychology is there the whole time altering it in the moment and altering the trajectory of its development. And so it's, it's a deeply embedded part of a person's psychology. And Where do you think not... it comes from? Do you think there's trauma there? Because Brent and I have been looking at this a lot. We've spoken to a lot of people, you know, who've transitioned, detransitioned, almost transitioned. And when you really get to the root of it, almost all of them have had some form of uh, trauma in their past, sexual trauma, that kind of thing. Um, um, you know, obviously, I... I'm not going to ask you to talk about it, anything you're uncomfortable with. But Well, I'm not. Um, I generally don't buy into the, the trauma hypothesis for the origin of sexual um, sexuality. Like, I don't think someone is gay because they're traumatized or someone is straight because they're not traumatized or perhaps traumatized into being straight. Who knows? Um, I, I just, because this, this sexuality, it occurs across cultures and across generations. And people, some people report it from, it being there from their very first memories, their desire to be the other sex. Is and that so, your experience? No, my, mine was a bit later onset, which is part of why I think I have less gender issues. Cool. Um, but I, I just don't 
but I just don't think the trauma hypothesis is necessary because it, I think it's just there's inborn factors. I don't know whether it's just in the womb or like whether it's um could be both like uterine conditions or genetic, but it is mostly innate. And of course, society and someone's life experience is going to change, alter how they act on it, or maybe the specific ways they manifest the orientation. But I think the people who have it, it was already within them. I think, I don't know. I, I think maybe it just is different for different situations and cases. You know, like some people, I know Brent thinks that there were nurture factors and things that led to his homosexuality and perhaps he's right and then someone else might think oh well i was born this way and it was always there and nothing like triggered it or anything and perhaps they're right too so i mean i think it's just one of those things where we don't totally know or understand why it is that way um i wanted to ask um you know so we are mentioning there there is a sexual element to this obviously you're saying it's a little deeper than that but clearly what makes autogynephilia autogynephilia is that there is some kind of like arousal sexual element there sorry loud uh, college kids driving very loud cars um i was gonna ask do do you experience that arousal is that what you go through like does the thought of being a woman is that and and did that start with puberty? Did that start a little? You it's, said you had not, a later. It's onset. not like an, an. It's not like something that just happens in everyday life. It, like it's not like I just look in a mirror and see that I'm dressed in women's clothes and then get aroused. Like, it's not like that. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's. I keep that more to specific like sexual contexts. Okay. Although I, I I'm just trying to understand. I'm just trying to yeah. understand honestly because I've I've never spoken with anyone who openly admitted to this sort of thing. Yeah, Maybe, which is weird because it's about as common probably, as sexuality. Well, I probably have spoken to someone who is an autogonophile and just did not know because it's a private thing. They don't talk about it, and that brings me, I guess, to another question: Is should these sorts of things remain taboo, and or be discussed with more discretion? Um, and I'm kind of on the fence about that. I mean, I don't think we should like try to normalize and say, oh, these things are great for, and you know, we want to encourage it. But at the same time, I also don't want to discourage say people like you who have a particular experience and want to share that information for educational purposes from doing so. You understand what I mean? So there's that kind of like fine line there. Well, I mean, I wouldn't have gotten into talking about this if it wasn't being neglected so intensely. It's not like, I was just looking for a thing to be some sort of public figure about. I was alarmed at the fact that people were cutting off body parts without knowing why they wanted to do that in the first place. And the clinicians okay. didn't know either. Like it's, it's just an appalling situation. Yeah. I agree with you there. And for that, I definitely uh, commend you. If that's the motivation behind it, then I, I agree with that 100%. Because if there is definitely this distinction there in types of dysphoria and you're trying there to are. Diagnose, then you can't just throw a blanket whatever onto the whole situation and say oh well that just this explains everything away i like nuance i find the more you look at things you have to find the nuance to try to truly understand what's going on here and the same applies to say the origins of homosexuality which is a whole other topic um, which we like to discuss and people get very mad at us for discussing that brent has pissed off a lot of people on twitter from his tweets about this subject it's called pre-screening your followers 
you type in very spicy, you know, controversial takes. And See what they can handle. All the babies just either they flame you and then you block them or they just run and they block you. So it works out very well. Uh, it also helps prevent mass reporting by people that don't like you in the future. That's so, true. You know, people like that's act good, like... Good idea. People yeah, act throw out some like, spicy once in a while just to protect yourself. Yeah. yeah. Well, just to see who comes out. But also, also like, it, I'm not disingenuous when my opinions or thoughts that I share on Twitter. People say, oh, you're doing it just to stir the pot. Yeah. I am doing it to stir the pot, but I'm not doing it just to stir the pot. Yeah. I'm doing it because I you have. You got to eat too. Well, yes, that too. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, um, you know, I, I, I make no bones about, you know, this nascent media career yeah. that I'm attempting. I, I, but. I also, I don't, I don't like the blanket dismissal of the conversations as internalized homophobia. I am so tired of that. People don't like what Phil has to say because yeah. Phil is a man who wears a dress. Yeah. That's what it is. They see that and There's they have an emotional response. They do, yeah. Because of other associations and they can't control their thoughts that result from that emotional response. The, the emotional energy gets ba them all wound up. Basil's just, similar. Ah! Like being a Muslim and saying some of the things that Basil says is very similar. It's like, dude, I don't have to be a Muslim or agree with Basil's perspective of my homosexuality or his own homosexuality. We can disagree on those things and still be friends and homies and laugh together and joke and all that shit. They're incapable of that and they don't understand that we are capable of doing that. They want us to throw these people under the bus. And this kind of goes back to the main topic with the gen spec and all that stuff is with the clickiness is once you are a quote unquote influencer, often you became that because you were, you were appealing to a very specific demographic about a certain topic or thing or cause. That's what I find at least. And what I'm noticing about the media market and I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to name names or whatever, but I feel like it happens more often than we think is once someone has generated that audience from speaking about a certain topic or a certain way or to certain people, even if they want to speak to certain other people, they won't if it might threaten the audience they've already gained or right. they want to talk about a certain subject or maybe they've changed their opinion on a certain subject but now if they say that they might lose this audience they've already gained whereas brent and i we don't give a fuck about that we never and, and this is that's exactly <laughs> what what happened with the kelly j keen thing is that yeah. you know i i i really respect a lot of the work she's done um i would still work with her like still consider her an ally even though we've never directly interacted but overall however I was really disappointed in her performance, which was a performance because she held a four hour long space to bring awareness or whatever her excuse was. It was really just to fan the flames and get her own personal audience stirred up because if she had truly genuinely been concerned about what was going on with Jen Specht, she would have responded to Stella O'Malley's call or text Stella offered to, to call her like privately and discuss this and, and see if they could, you know, work something out or whatever. And she wouldn't do it. The only way that Kelly J. Keen would speak to Stella or speak to Jen Specht was on Benjamin Boyce's channel. So she's only going to have a conversation for public content. And to me, that's, you know, that's a sign of a poor character um, because, you know, if she was really, truly concerned, you, you know, 
you know, I'm fine. Again, I'm a capitalist, like in terms of content, make your content, whatever, you can have a public thing, but also you should be having it in private too. Um, and no one was emailing Genspect and being like, Hey, you know, I, that's like, I have a concern about your PR or whatever, you know, everyone was just publicly lambasting them online for their own followers. Um, and, and so outrage is huge. Outrage drives clicks. And again, like I'm fine with being out, you know, you can be outraged as much as you want. Um, but I also think that you cannot then and go, you can't then go say, oh, we can't have this conversation. Like I'm done with you or I'm not going to like. Right. No, the outrage should whatever be you want, the, feel the, whatever you want. the initiator but, of the conversation. Right. And, you know, I lost like 400 followers in a day when I complained about Kelly J. Keene. And I uh, don't miss Good those followers story. because they were probably also random feminazis that don't do jack yeah. shit and yeah. who are not I, my allies. I, I think uh, it goes back to what Brent said earlier. Once in a while, you just got to like tweet some shit to see what your followers can take and then clean house. Like if, if they're too serious, like I've done that before, like. Your most controversial, spicy opinions. Yeah. I mean, I've tweeted like just faggot and stuff, like just for that <laughs> reason alone. Just, like just, just to, the word. Yeah, shit like that. Just or like, <laughs> don't account, do that I'm, because that will downrank yeah. your account well, in the algorithm. I'm I'm so downranked already. I'm just letting the, people out there know yeah, in, in the universe. I mean, I'm not recommending anyone does that, but I'm. Saying, I hate that I can't use faggot on Twitter. I feel like you, it's when you I do a thing that. like that. Sometimes it isn't for any other reason than to just see how delicate other people are and whether or not. And if you're that delicate where you can't take it, then it's probably better you don't follow me. And I would actually, you know, there's a lot of people, and this is, the, this is the weird thing from my position is, so number one, there's like just the gen spec, like the fact that they're tearing down one of the only organizations that's actually doing tangible resources for parents and for detransitioners, but also from, as a detransitioner, um, I definitely don't speak for, for all detransitioners or really even most detransition, you know, yeah. everyone has their individual thing. Um, but the fact that everyone was that they, they, these feminists were were saying you can't trust your judgment you're being groomed you're being taken advantage of by this man and you know whatever you're traumatized and blah 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 it's like if you actually cared about me as a person you would be privately messaging me and being like hey yes. do you need yeah. someone to talk are to you okay you know? are you maybe, okay and, and give you the so, benefit like, of the doubt <laughs> also maybe give you the benefit of the doubt that maybe just maybe you are making your own conscious choice and decision to associate well, with this person you know? like, but, god forbid <laughs> yeah Ridiculous. i just it was so it was just and then then it became it was then the trans widows got angry at me because I made a joke because oh, people no were humor allowed. No, yeah, I know, especially for me, because this is the thing. <laughs> These people will be totally on board with me so long as I'm being snarky about people or situations that they agree with. But right. as soon as I'm being snarky about something that touches their nerves, them. then yep. that's not acceptable. Right. So yes. I made a joke post that was like, because the argument was like, okay, Phil's having sexual thoughts during this conference and sexual thoughts like in this photo with me and so i posted a photo of me <laughs> at the conference um holding my jordan peterson daddy lobster sweatshirt 
Because I was, I, I was having sexual thoughts. Yeah, that's what I said. I was having, I'm pretty sure I was we confirmed on the last episode that Phil was not wearing chastity the entire time. <laughs> right, I was not plugged and caged for the record. He was not plugged and caged, right? Yeah. Also, well, how does anyone I, I, know? I, I, you don't know what is in someone's mind moment to moment either. It's such a right. So I started coining the phrase um, "sexual thought crimes" because I'm like, essentially, what you're doing is you're saying this man who has said to have a certain sexual preference, you're just assuming that he's having sexual thoughts and those sexual thoughts are thought crimes, right? And that's why you're saying he should be thrown out of the conference. Like, that's just unacceptable. I mean, Wait, sweetie, you, know, you should come in and spend some time yeah, in my yeah. head. Well, I, yeah, Because <laughs> my, my, my take on it would definitely be the opposite. If I knew someone like that was at my conference, and was willing to speak, I would bring them up there and grill them a bit. Like I just did to Phil earlier, you know, talk to them, ask them like, Hey, is Have what's your experience? Like, why are you admitting to being an autogynophile? Stuff like that. Like, why are you here? Maybe talk to them. You know, I think right. that's the rational, you could disagree with them. You can say, I think you're gross and a pervert and all this shit and you shouldn't be here, but like have the conversation at least. Right. But and he had this whole that. book and he was just, it's like, you someone's written a book you claim that this person is spreading this garbage or whatever and you're just like just don't read it D don't post it and it's yeah. like why don't you just read the book yeah. and like read the book and tear it apart if you just i tweeted the book really i tweeted the whole thing i read sections of the book and there were things that i thought were interesting there were things i didn't agree with but you know what like Bravo to you, Phil, for putting your thoughts out there, for doing the research, for putting it all in a place where people get, you know, they can disagree with it. They can challenge you on it. Like, this is actually how science is done out there. A scientist or a researcher, you know, says, hey, look, this is what I'm thinking. Here's the research that I found. Let me put it out there to be criticized by the world. And that's ostensibly how it should work. Right. That's um, the real peer review is the, the review in the public. Right. Yes. And it's like, not a review to just be like, don't read this. That's not a, that's not a period. No, the censorship I think is always telling. Like when they when they try to slur and slander and censor you, that tells me that they're afraid of you speaking for some reason. They don't yeah. want to hear what you have to say. You know, in, in Phil's case, I think they just don't like him because he's a man in the dress. I've always just been curious. So if it's interesting to me and I want to know more about it, I'll read about it. I've books in my library about serial killers also something Shit, like something you know, that like, is another spicy you know piece of information that people like to conveniently forget women tend to think more emotionally than men they are more frequently to have an emotional reaction to something and let that influence their thoughts and opinions and political beliefs and they're also like you know much more likely to bounce that around with other women and see what they're thinking and adjust and you know because they want to fit in and it's it's very common to have you know this kind of reaction to play out in drama in public they and also tend to be they more don't like of, to, you know admit that they, they get into these like little sections the other side of that too is they also tend to be more of the the socialites like yeah they're the nurturing nurturing types but the women were also historically speaking to the socialites they would run the parties and things like that so it's like they, you want everyone to get along and that goes back to the point I made earlier and why a lot of what we're seeing in the just the general blanket acceptance without any pushback of gender ideology stuff amongst people is, is being pushed by women 
who have who want everyone to just get along and they don't want to rock the boat they don't want anyone to feel left out or to feel upset you know no just use the pronoun just whatever we don't want to hurt their feelings it's all about respect we don't want them to make them feel dehumanized and it's like that is why this shit continues and 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 they also cuck the men sorry to say it sorry but they like they just beat the men down they whip them down a lot of them are afraid to speak up and be masculine and say no because the women are not gonna you know hand it out and that's exactly (laughs) what i've observed like with so it's interesting you bring up the socialite thing because it makes me think about how in the in the positive feminine sense which um you know, women do try to go along yeah. to get along. They want to preserve their social relationships. It's not always bad. It's great. We need that. And, and we need that. <laughs> and, and even though I'm probably a more, I'm a more disagreeable woman than on average, I feel like that's more so what I'm trying to do. I mean, first of yeah. all, I'm not going to control anyone and are, or going to bother to deal with other people's crap. But ideal, yes, of course, I'm idealistic socially to say, you know, Maybe we can go along to get along in the sense that we can say, okay, we have disagreeing, you know, differing opinions. Why don't we just leave it at that and just continue to, you know, control what we can control in our own lives and things like that versus what the toxic feminine um, does is to say, we're going to control things by excluding any women that do not completely agree with us. So that's what they were doing. And in a weird sense, I was actually, I feel like trying to, well, actually, I'm not going to go so far as to say that I was being like pro-social, at least in the, right in the heart of it. Cause I was being kind of a little bitch about things. I was just being like, fuck you, you know, but I feel like overall, that's kind of my energy is to say, you know, we're all human. We all have our own um, issues. Like, and we all have our, we all have sexual issues. Like, can we just be honest about that? And I feel like women can't be honest about the fact that they have sexual issues. And as a detransitioner, I mean, my body, my sexuality, everything is like, it's just like out there for public consumption. Um, like people like, at, like who knows they, how much they're they, thinking about my breasts or lack of they, breasts. There, there are people out there who know like, your most intimate, deepest, darkest traumas and shit. Yeah. They think they do, but it actually goes deeper than they It goes deeper. It goes even deeper, but still very deep. Yeah. But it was what I'm saying. Like, why I want to talk about it is because, listen, it's already out there anyway. Yeah. I don't have much to lose in terms of just being very vulnerable and honest about sexual motivations that I had for transitioning romantic reasons fantasy reasons i thought all of that was very enlightening because when i first spoke with you i it it never totally clicked with me just how many of the women who wanted to be men were like having like porn addictions and stuff to like gay porn and were fantasizing and like they were attracted to a man as but they wanted to be a man with a man that whole thing yeah some of them are autoantrophilic yeah so it's just like i never really grasped that layer of it you know and it goes back to what phil was saying it's like there there are these different sorts of factors at play there are people who don't you know who are experiencing gender dysphoria or whatever without any of that sexual connotation there at all uh so well i I mean, unless it is all sexual, t- I don't know. I could be wrong. Well, I mean, it's not all about. It's not all the autosexual type. There is the homosexual type as well. Okay. But 
both of these are ult ultimately outgrowths of sexual orientation or other traits of you that develop alongside sexual orientation, such as your innate masculinity and femininity, which is more of the, the, the homosexual type of dysphoria is more about having that innate gender nonconformity, um, which developed alongside your orientation. Yeah. So we, we spoke with shapeshifter on here before this was right. That's homosexual gender ago. dysphoria. Yeah, yeah. So shape shapeshifter later eventually came to terms with the fact that, yeah, he's just, he's a gay man and could not come to terms with that. But part of it also was the sort of extreme fetishization of, I'm going to speak very frankly here, and this is dangerous rhetoric of being fucked by a man as if you were a woman. And that's where a lot of that came from. And then he was convinced by the surgeons that, oh, well, just you could go as far as you can to appear that way and it'll be fine. You'll still- But wouldn't that be autogynephilic then? I think there's a level of that there, but that that's what he wanted. He wanted to, to be fucked by men as if he was a woman. But part of that was just he never felt comfortable in his manness because of, he was in denial of his gayness. Instead of just accepting he's a man and can still be a man and be fucked by a man or whatever, he wanted, I guess part of it too is he also wanted men who tended to be more straight. So there's yeah. that as well. As they, you know, they, wanted, Some, they wanted those more yeah. masculine men to want them and to do them as if they were women. So and there's I definitely wanted this whole... Because do, I yeah. despise straight men. Yes. I mean, let's be real. They have some flaws, um, <laughs> generally speaking. Um, so I was like turned off to, to straight men. Gay men were the ones that I was like, especially twinks, because <laughs> I had a twink friend oh, in real life who I was in love with for like three years. Whole mess. We've talked about that before. Yeah. Like the attachment issues I had. Um, but like, yeah, it was... Um, the fantasy of a specific object of affection, a specific type being, um, you know, wanting you, um, I think is a huge motivating factor, which is why we see a lot of trans um, identified young women who are really into the Yahweh and the um, gay male yeah. anime, you know, that's kind of their fantasy of, of maleness that's palatable yeah. to them. And honestly, I view the, that, I viewed my attraction in the past to gay males to be an immature form of heterosexuality. The way that I view uh, their attraction to anime characters as immature, the way that I view my attraction to celebrities or parasocial relationships with male celebrities to be immature, it's all immature because it's working up to eventually being able to have an immature adult heterosexual relationship with another person that involves intimacy, commitment, trust, and um, reproductive potential. So, so I understand why a lot of young women, you know, I don't think it's wrong or unnatural for young women like myself to, to be into uh, anime or cartoons or, or celebrities or this fantasy, but eventually it needs to be grown out of so that we can have mature yeah. relationships. Yeah, you need to come back to reality. <laughs> you right, we you need can't. to... Live and, in the and fantasy. It's not being medicalized. So, yeah, it is crazy. A lot this, harder to this come touches back. on another thing, too, especially what you talked about, like not being able to make the real human connections and have real human experiences and stuff is por porn addiction. And a lot of this is definitely tied into that. I've stumbled upon way too many at this point 
accounts of these trans men, these women, who turned into men because they probably have a porn addiction and they want to be passed around as the party twink, like they see in some of these these group sex gay porns and stuff, and they want to be a man in that situation, being fucked by men as if they were men. So yeah. it's yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that's the porn that caused that though. I I don't know if it caused it or yeah. not. I'm just saying there is the there's definitely a correlation that? and a lot of that it seems to be a pipeline into that. A lot of them end up doing porn because that's how they end up in those group setting scenarios of being able to have the sexual experience they want. Plus there's voyeurism. There's people who get off on being seen. Like that that's hot to them. The exhibitionism. So the exhibitionism that's what i meant sorry the voyeurism yeah. is you get off on watch the other direction yeah the other direction yeah it's yeah, all paraphilias though all of it it's just different paraphilias i yeah, don't well. so i don't think that porn i think yeah porn can expose you to things that you've never seen and yeah you might not try to do certain like unnatural sexual acts unless you'd seen it mirrored before you but i think that for a lot of the women and again, I, 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 I can't speak as much to the male experience, but for the women, a lot of them do have trauma. And again, trauma is on a spectrum. When I say trauma, it doesn't always mean like brutal, you know, child sexual assaults or yeah. rape. Like, yeah, sometimes it is that. Um, but sometimes it's just the kind of chronic low-grade trauma of being autistic and growing up being alienated from other women and um, from men and not having a developmental uh, maturity socially where you can actually form real relationships. So this, these are the three elements that I see coming together in, in harmony or dis mm -hmm. maybe disharmony to form uh, the online trans female to male identity, which is the porn, the autism, and some amount of, of inability to form relationships, whether that be from trauma or just from autism. Don't forget the yowie. Just from the yaoi, it could just, just be from the yaoi. <laughs> but I think it's likely to have um, to have other elements um, because, like, if you have issues, you know, as like autism is a developmental issue yeah. that's going to be chronic throughout your life. You can get better at managing it, but mm -hmm. if you're developmentally delayed at ten, like you think about your peers and how ahead they are at, when you're all at, at age ten. By the time you're age 20, which is when a lot of these people then start to medically transition, you're going to have been behind for like a whole decade already. And yeah. so it just keeps sort of piling up on you, the differences between you and other people your own age and your yeah. own sex. There's, there's something that also just clicked in my mind here too, but I want to go back to the anime thing. And this is a whole other conversation too, but, you know, I think a lot of, people who do become obsessed with that do have a kind of peter pan syndrome but with that said i'm not going to say that oh all anime is for kids and it's all cartoons and it's just childish no there's a lot of very mature themed animes i like some anime, anime I'm not, I'm, that's not what i'm saying guys that's not what i'm saying so don't think i'm shitting on all anime but what i am saying is there seems to be this kind of obsession with it and there is a kind of sexual aspect to that too tied into this trans shit and what I was going to say is how many of these people I noticed seem like they're trying to look like a fucking anime character. <laughs> like, seriously, think about it. Go on TikTok or just look at so, like as many of these people as you can. 
especially the non-binaries. And you're just like, wow, you look like you're trying to look like an anime character. Like you want to emulate that. You want to be androgynous looking with your green fucking hair, you know, your ridiculous clothes. It's just, you, you want to look like some important main character in, in your story. A lot of it is just really also narcissistic, you know? That's exactly what I was going to yeah. say. I would say, you guys know this very well. Um, Cluster that the people who have who are gravitating towards the anime as their identity don't have a stable sense of self. Yes, probably because they have either autism and or a character disorder. Mm -hmm. Just yeah, yeah. It it is interesting though. It it just started to click to me though. I'm like, wow, a lot of them look like they just are trying to emulate an anime character. It's, yeah, the well, I mean, is all of it. To be fair, anime characters do look pretty cool. That's why they're drawn that way. But like, but, but when you try to emulate, a lot of that stuff looks cool in a drawing. But yeah. then when not you in a live try, action. When you try to yeah. live action, it like look how many. Yeah, I mean, Ali London like, is a thing. Like yeah. Ali London, right? Exactly. Like, you know, it doesn't exactly. work as well. Yeah, like, in in three D. Literally transed into being Korean and then detransed out of being Korean. Well, it's like guys, this is where we are. That's where we are yeah. in society. Well, I that think, I know. Well, so regarding trans race, I did a little, a tiny survey of the trans race community for my book because there wasn't any data on trans race I, people. Is there actually a community? Of course. Yeah, it's oh small. Oh, my God. And, and, what? Yeah, no. Not, yeah, I don't so think he means like a literal place. Dana. No, but I mean, are the, do they have forums and shit? These people are Yeah, yeah, there. like, like discords and stuff. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. They're, they're small but growing. Um and so like i surveyed them and asked them various things in line with my understanding of how these sort of autosexual trans identities work because i you know i've already i've also i wrote chapters on on transabled trans species trans okay. uh trans age like every type of trans that is known the transabled um, shit what about yeah transabled you so that transabled? that that one that's like when people want to become amputees or become I, paralyzed I, or blind. I know, I know what it is, and that one in particular kind of upsets me because right. Of the crazy thing about that one—that's the only one where you can literally become the thing you're identifying as. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, that's it the only one where if you do it, so you can't. Yeah, that's the only type of trans where you can literally become the thing, and no one that's can argue true. with you if you've gone through with it. So that's actually the most give some respect to them. It's, it, yeah, exactly. it's upsetting yeah, though yeah. because you know I, I have a I have a mother who's um, disabled. She has cerebral palsy, and it's very difficult for her. And she would want nothing more than to be normal and able-bodied, and to have people who are actually so like fucked in the head that they want to be disabled. It's just bizarre to me. It's like hard to even like, I can't even wrap my head around that. It's, you know, similarly, like your experience is also bizarre to me. I can't wrap my head around that either. I don't know what it's like to want to be a woman or to be like aroused by the idea of it or anything of that sort. But the, the whole transabled thing, man, that shit really bugs me because my mom has struggled a lot. So what do know? you think there, Phil, what is the... Um do you why what why is their reasoning why do you think why do they think that they they want to be trans abled oh um i i i don't i haven't noticed a consensus among them talking um i don't think they know 
I think in general, they're not a fan of the autosexual theory. Like none of the people with trans identities are stoked on this theory in general. Um, and you know, the trans age, understandably, they really don't like it, but, um, yeah, I, they don't have a coherent explanation. Um, but most of them do report studies have found that most of them do report having sexual interests in in being the type of thing they're identifying as and that they've like during when they've done the pretending to be an amputee or whatever that they've been aroused by it before for instance and so the way this sort of thing works is um it autosexual trans identity it, it gets formed it's sort of like um partially a behavioral development process where you you do the things where say at first it might be arousing and then that sort of arousal goes away because you get used to it hedonic adaptation you know and you sort of it just makes it feels nice it feels better and like when you're not in union with that thing it feels worse and so you are progressively reinforced into greater commitment to that that inner cross identity and and embodying that thing to greater degrees and for greater proportions of your life until eventually you just want to be that thing all the time. So I'm going to ask another personal question to you. You've chosen to not, I'm assuming you don't, you don't take hormones, correct? No, like I said, the, the decision chosen to, to not chosen transition to take, is not, yeah, no steps in that direction. It's all pragmatic. Um, pragmatic decisions based on my realistic physical appearance. It's not based on any ideology or whether it's ethical or not the transition. I would if it was, uh, if I think it would be favorable to me. And I'm not okay. doing it because I don't think it would overall be better. If there was like a magic process that like made you look like the perfect female version of yourself, you would do it. Oh, yeah, no hesitation. Yeah. Yeah, there was a so in Steel Beach, the like they the main character actually goes through a uh, male to female transition early in the story, but the technology is there and the transition is perfect. So that that's something I wanted to bring up too. Like, do any of you think that 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 technology can ever exist where we can like rewrite someone say at like a cellular level or some shit to like change that like brent you would probably be the person uh, so that's <laughs> the you're it's what you're talking about and what you know i just described is sort of the creme de la creme of genetic engineering that's taking a existent life form with a you know already established genetic code putting it into a tank and you know doing something to it somehow where you can actually change the genes in real time to the life form and then have, you know, go through the process. And when it comes out, you have the, the new genetic traits and the, the new assigned uh, uh, genes. So you could, that, that would be, you know, like the, the, that's the, the, basically the crowning achievement of genetic engineering. We don't have that level of technology yet. And it probably won't be possible in our lifetime barring something crazy i guess my other question is should you should one even pursue that should humanity even pursue that direction is that playing god um are, are we ignoring mary shelley's warning it will <laughs> happen regardless of how anyone feels about it or regardless of whether it's moral technology that, develops of its own accord it does what it wants i think like, we'll get there i think you're yeah, the technology will make itself <laughs> yeah I, I think we need to be realistic i mean I mean, my, so my philosophy is that it's like, I'm transitioning. It's, 
not necessary to transition. I don't think that it's, it's obviously not medically necessary. I don't think it's spiritually, psychologically, emotionally necessary. However, I mean, there's a lot of things in life that aren't necessary that people do for various reasons. So philosophically, I think if an adult is truly informed uh, thoroughly on the process and they've kind of exhausted other options that they should be allowed to do it. I don't agree with it, but I'm not going to stop someone from doing it. So I would feel the same way about um, what, I don't know what's what genetic, like there's already, you know, talk of people getting chips implanted and things like that. Again, I don't think it's a good idea. I would err on the side of caution because I think that the human body has evolved um, in a pretty optimal way. However, it's not perfect. Obviously, we still have a lot of diseases. We still have, like, hormones are still super annoying. Sexuality is really people annoying. People have disabilities. Like, I, you know, people have my disabilities. Mom, There's still like obviously that. mortality. Um, so it's not perfect. So I, I, I'm open to exploration to see. Um, but I think so, for right now, at least the tech we have in terms of transition, I don't think it's yeah. very good. Yeah. Especially for women, like for well, I, want, I wanted to add, you know, you mentioned, you know, if the adult is fully informed and all this and that, and they choose to, and they still want to do it, et cetera. I think another side of this too is the vetting process needs to also happen amongst the psychiatrists and the surgeons and those people. Like, I think there needs to be some very serious, heavy restrictions on their practice before they're allowed to even draw a line on someone's skin. Let I think alone, the previous standard was fine. You know, it was like two years is living, uh, you know, full time as the opposite sex. And they just threw that out the window and started, you know, giving puberty blockers to 12 year olds. And it's just crazy. You know? yeah, well, there's no standards now. But like, I you think, know. you know, I, 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 at the end of the day, I probably would say, you know, once you're over, you know, once you're an adult, you know, you make decisions for yourself. We should probably have some guardrails for well, young adults. I, th I think there should be guardrails for all adults just for the fact that they could be taken advantage of by predatory psychiatrists and surgeons who just want to make a buck. So I think that is something we need to think about and consider. And Brent, you and I both know every detransitioner we've spoken with on the show, and I always bring this up because it's important to me because when they argue about this, typically people are, oh, 18, they cut it off. I'm like, dude, everyone we spoke with was, was over 18. 18. There's something else needs to change. You like cutting it off at 18 is just a start. That's just that's just the beginning. There, that's not addressing the real issue here. So there's also an yeah. I think there needs to be yeah. I think there needs to be a discussion of which proportion of regret is an acceptable amount because with any medical procedure, there's going to be some proportion of regret. And but I is don't it know a medical? procedure that's another question too like i i don't know if i consider it necessarily a medical procedure i well, lean hormones towards surgery, laura. so i think it is i i lean towards I laura. It, cosmetic. it is cosmetic a medical procedure implies there is a real medical condition there and i don't know if this well, qualifies as that to me in my opinion. Um, i think they're medical procedures but i i think you're kind of more specifically saying that you don't think there's a good medical indication for it Right. Yes, I, I agree with Laura in yeah. that I lean toward it just not being necessary. And I think although we could make some very real exceptions for certain people, we should always discourage it and try every single other thing to help that. Just person. the least invasive option yes. possible. 
Yes. Um, every, I think if every, we, if we, yeah, possibility. If we could uh, switch the 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 way we generally think about it from okay, whoever if someone says they are, they are, and we therefore need to like contort their body into being what they say they are, like yes. that sort of thing, to being like it's not are you sure? Are you sure? Are it's you cosmetic. sure? Yeah. Well, first of all, not are you sure? Because the people that are going to have a successful transition well, I mean, yeah. are the people that know that they have a biological sex and they're actually stable about that. Um, I just so mean I in, in the sense of questioning and pushing back. There needs to be an environment yeah. where that is encouraged. It is we are well now it's it's been the opposite. They've been affirming yeah. because they're afraid if they don't affirm, they're going to lose their medical license, yes. which is a right. big part of the problem. Yep. So, but I think if we kind of switch from, oh, there's just some people that are trans. Like, I don't think that there are people that are trans. I think that there are people for whom transition might improve their subjective quality of life because they're so gender non-conforming. Maybe that means they're homosexual. Maybe there's some genetic thing. Maybe it's a sexual thing for them. There are people. Uh, I don't think have, that there's true trans. There are I think people that there's people who have, that can make informed decisions yeah. about their cosmetic procedures. And I think if we switch that paradigm um, from medical to cosmetic, then a lot more people would actually have their gender issues treated with other means. And then for those select few for whom those options don't work, yeah. they would then be able to get properly informed um, care with ethical providers. Billboard Chris, uh, the way he puts it is, uh, he said that um, people aren't, like trans isn't something that you are, it's something that you do. That's, how, That's right. how he would say it. And uh, yeah, I agree with that. It is an action, you know? So you could say, you know, there are people who have the experience of wanting to transition. But yeah, I don't think there are actually like trans people. You're not like some special new category of person. You know, you're either a male or a female, or you have they they love to argue about a third yeah. a third gender, a yeah, third sex, and I'm well. like, sweetie, there's no third gamete. <laughs> like, it's they don't. It's when they do that, they kind of sort of betray their ignorance and that they don't understand well, what sex and gender are. It's sort of you. Like you also uh, often say, Brent, what is it like the uh, the exception proves the rule? Is that how you put it? Exception proves the rule. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what that is too. It's like, well, when you when you have ninety nine percent of the time yeah. something is like this, then the one yeah. percent sort of shows you that the, the other ninety nine percent is like that. Yeah. So it's like when you bring up intersex, it's not like this giant like, ha, oh, gotcha that they think it is. It's like, no, you're actually- That's also not that like, they bring up intersex as if it's involved in the conversation when it's not. We're not talking about yeah, intersex it's, individuals. It's pretty much irrelevant to transsexualism, right. except yeah, in a small minority of homosexual yeah. trans. Very small minority, right? Yeah. yeah, like most of the time we're yeah. talking, like really, and the major issue that most people have is the fact that this is, these conversations are being had around young children who can't even consent to adult yeah. activities you know, let alone, you know, permanent sexual alterations and physical alterations. Like there's like one, there's this one dude that was transitioned young, you know, his, he was single father, interesting case, uh, single father transitioned his son because he was, you know, affirmed and told that that was what the process was. And, you know, lo and behold, this dude, once he got into his twenties, he actually is an interesting case because he was on a couple of podcasts. He went around, talked a lot, how he didn't have any sort of sexual feeling or drive it was like you know when he would talk about like touching his like you know neo vagina he was like it's like hitting my arm down there it's like nothing um and that dude eventually went crazy killed his father tried to kill his sister and god ended up getting arrested but i've never heard of this guy 
Oh yeah, it doesn't yeah. surprise me that you've never heard of it. Yeah, um, I, I don't. I don't know. I'm. My brain just thought of another question. But like, what's worse after the surgery, to have no feeling there, or to still have some feeling there, like what Richie? Yeah. Well, and this is like you know. the well, and also the, just the idea that these things are being done to children before they can consent to anything properly is is just atrocious and unacceptable and it's, crazy. it's even weird that we have to have this conversation like it's there's bizarre it's like, like we, and, and we are not you know it. not none of us are medical professionals we're not doctors and yet it is clear as day to each of us that these procedures are inappropriate for young children and and it just blows my mind i mean the they're arguably inappropriate in general well, again, um, there's right. an argument to be had at all at all, but like it should be just clear as day, you know, completely inappropriate but, for but minor for children. yes, for minors, it should kind of go without saying because and we it, already have societal restrictions on minors in regards to drinking and sex and driving and the military and all these cosmetic other things. surgery, tattoos. Cosmetic there was, surgery, tattoos there was a mother for all who was reasons, yeah. A mother was arrested in New York State because her like ten or twelve year old son got a tattoo at a uh the hotel that they were staying at temporarily she like this was during you know corona i remember kid, that story, yeah. kid got a tattoo mother went to jail because and this is in new york state which is one of the states that's sort of like you know rah rah let's protect the trans kids come here to get your yeah. you know that's that's locked. fine but if you went and got your daughter's tits cut off you're a hero or if you want to go if you want to own a gun a constitutionally protected you know second american second amendment right you're, you're five years in prison yeah, we'll put you in jail for five years if you, you show up in New York with a gun. Uh, Are you talking about the city? Because upstate's city. not like that. No, it's the city. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah. But uh, I think we sort of did a whirlwind around the topic. Why don't we bring it back to Jen Speck and where, where do you guys see, uh, Phil and Laura, the conversation going now that the turfs are sort of like really drawing lines in the sand and not wanting to work with people uh, based on superficial sort of characteristics. Before you answer that, I actually wanted to bring up one more point about that very thing and and just say that these people do have a right to not associate with us the same way that you have a right to associate with Phil. You know, the freedom of association is all at play here. So I think if they want to cast us out of the conversation, sure, they're probably shooting themselves in the foot by doing that. But they also have the right to do that as well. So I think it's just something I want to be known and to state here that we're not being hypocrites. We're not saying these people don't have a right to not associate with us and that they should be forced to have the discourse with us. That's not what mm -hmm. we're saying here. But with that said, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, honestly, I think that the best work gets done when people... Um, don't try to do every single thing at one time. And I know I'm saying that as a creative person who's a jack of all trades, master of oh, none. I, I felt you so hard on that. <laughs> I know, I know you do. So, you know, I think that we each have our thing that I, you know, I'm not a person that's like, stay in your lane, you can't, whatever. But I'm like, you have, you can control what you can control and you're best at what your gifts are. My gifts and my expertise are going to be obviously specifically around D-trans stuff, around mental health, young adult, college stuff. That is my perspective. That's what I'm mostly focusing on. And I'm going to work with any org, anyone, any, you know, a feminist, a not an anti-feminist, uh, conservative, liberal, whatever, um, who who is going to, you know, be able to collaborate with me and and do some good work. Um, and I think that everyone should take that approach 
you can't do everything at once. You can't be friends with everybody, nor should you try to. Mm -hmm. I think that you shouldn't try to force a friendship. I think that business and friendship are not the same. Yeah. I have a lot of people that are colleagues that I probably wouldn't want to like, you know, be like close friends with that person. Or I have a lot of friends that maybe we disagree on certain political things, but they still are, you know, a supportive person in my life. You know, we have to have some boundaries and distinctions around, um, yeah. you know, about our, you know, behaviors and just treating people with respect at who who are in our lives and who we're working with um in terms of so that's just my approach in general and i really wish other people would take that approach i just had to talk to a friend today about how i feel fine working with prager you uh which i i feel fine working with prager you i don't agree with them on a hundred percent there's no organization that i agree on hundred percent what's wrong with um, prager you uh they're anti-gay they're christian they're they're you christian know, and they want to make money <laughs> yeah they're christian they want to make okay. money they don't like abortion whatever i don't like abortion you know? anymore kinda, i kind of I, I i still have you know nuanced opinions about it but again Who like I, I work with so many people that are really really you know f actively fighting like that's one of their main causes is to fight um you know be anti-abortion and i have again i might not have the most in common with a person that might, they don't tend to be like the funkiest people in the world who do that, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to work with them on other things. Um, and I think that people are extremely foolish and short sighted to be throwing gen specs under the bus. So, so long as they continue to do work that, uh, I agree with, I'm going to continue to collaborate and, in the public, I just see them continuously being dragged. I mean, I don't think there's any way to avoid it. I think we're all going to be, you know, it's just kind of the culture we're in right now to just call people out and dogpile. And I don't yep. really think that we can the, stop the that. Right, the right does it too, just as yep, much absolutely. as the left does. So, yeah, I, so I think the, 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 Sorry, excuse me, the feminists, um, like, again, there's in my opinion, there's there's feminists, which of course there's many varieties, and then there's feminazis. Yeah. They're not the same. They are there's a spectrum. The rad and femmes. The rad femmes, there's certain rad femmes that are amazing, and there's certain rad femmes that are feminazis. Okay? So the so the feminazi is like the extreme extreme. Of, uh, the rad extreme the this authoritarian is the feminist, in my opinion. Yeah. A toxic uh, feminist of whatever fe variety. Feminists in general. Are kind of annoying but i get i get no they can be i'm not saying they're, they're not annoying there there are the more like moderate feminists I there's like moderate feminists that like i consider myself a very reasonable type of person who like i'm not super attached to the feminist label or not attached to it i think whatever context you're in it could be shorthand for whatever i definitely think that there's women specific issues and men specific issues mm -hmm. obviously i focus on women specific issues more it just makes more sense um uh, why why is that because i have Aren't a pussy dude yeah, and i use them have a pussy. <laughs> and i have a clitoris so that's why um if you have to know but uh, <laughs> you know and it's so it's like i i consider myself one of those types that's like you know i'll go i've spoken at like women's only events i'll also speak at events where it's like mostly men who are who hate feminists like because i don't consider myself part of like a specific niche that if someone generally finds a group annoying 
that I feel invalidated because I don't have such a strong group identity. Brent, Brent and I are similar. You know, we like, we're friends with like some people in like Gays Against Groomers. We're friends with people in like the walk away movement. We're friends, you know, but we do our own thing. We aren't in any group. We've had a chance to be parts of these groups. And I don't do just, groups. We decide not to because Brent and I don't do groups. So it's probably why you fit in very well with us too. <laughs> Yeah, we have we have that similar kind of lone rugged individualist yeah. individualist kind of vibe, and and that's fine. I think that's the role some of us have to play in this. You know, that you I think you kind of need some of these voices like us who can maybe bring disparate voices together who might not otherwise converse. You know, like someone like Phil, or someone like say Basil. You know, just people who might not normally encounter some of the other people we speak with and to be able to bring them together on live streams and things like that like best part of this i would say and that's why i, I that's why i thought that the gen spec thing was just so i mean frankly hilarious like it was really sad but it was also hilarious because it's like you have these two like very unusual people like me and phil were both like weird in our own way and we're then both dressed we're very normal photo. what we're both just very normal. You That's know. right. That's right. So we normal. Are. And, you know, there's just such like a, we're just two, you know, different individuals in this photo together, very extreme height differences, like just like the archetypes of who we are, like this vulnerable young female transitioner and this like tall, like AGP male. Like that's why I just thought it was so funny because the juxtaposition that we'd actually be on the same page, you know, and that everyone is, and people don't like that. They don't like to see like um, people from different worlds sort of yeah. just commingling. Also, yeah, let, me, I, let me know, Phil, if you think this makes sense. It seems to me that like a lot of like the you, you guys, they didn't really even see you as individuals. They more saw you as representatives of a class of people. Yeah. They, they, we were, they were doing the it's yeah. the identity politics shit. They, right. You know. They didn't see you as, you know, Phil Illy. They saw you as a man dressed up as a woman who they think, you know, has some sort of like sexual thing that they don't like. And they saw Laura as like the vulnerable, you know, young girl who has gone through this process. And they see themselves as the white knight. It's very like drama triangle shit. It, you know? it is. It exactly is the drama triangle. Yeah, and they're gonna come and save you, Laura, from the big bad. Well, I've done a very good job. <laughs> but I mean, go ahead, Phil. So, um, yeah, I'd like to comment just on uh, Dan's question. He asked a while ago about like Gen Spec's trajectory, Shoot. basically, like what's up with them. Um, I I noticed during the conference that I got the feeling that there was a conflict. They have these two different. They have a priority of helping gender distressed people and they also have a stated priority of battling gender ideology and sometimes i think these two priorities can be in conflict um because there are going to be some proportion of gender distressed people that are that benefit from gender ideology um like personally i don't believe in gender ideology but i i just think um that they kind of, I got the feeling that the conference, it, it was much more political than what I was expecting. And it wasn't as much talking about where does gender dysphoria come from? What is the cause of this? What are ways of reducing okay. 
this sort of suffering, you know, which is more of, I'm more focused on understanding the root cause with the hope that you will then figure out some ways of helping reduce the suffering. And um, I, I just noticed that with the Genspect controversy, um, it, the whole battle against gender ideology seemed to be the big thing rather than like you have this group of people that are suffering gender related distress and like, what do you do about that? And I think the way to deal with, to help fix that is you have to use the liberal scientific process to find true knowledge that is just objectively true so that you can figure out the right course of action. Whereas when you get all political and divide up into teams, instead of having liberal individualism and, and rugged epistemology, you end up with these warring factions, neither of which are using realistic mental models, and thus neither of them can come to a positive, constructive solution because they're both based on fantasy. So there is something I kind of want to comment on here too, and, and I'm not saying it to justify the reaction from the other side or people who react in this way. But what also needs to be understood is that a lot of the people pushing gender ideology and people who are like trans and stuff are actually harming and abusing people. Like there is a lot of that happening. They are getting people fired from their jobs. They are invading spaces of the other people's sexes. There is sexual harassment and rape and actual, those things are happening. So part of what you're seeing in that response from the other side is a reaction to that. And they very much do see this as warring factions. They do feel like they are under attack, you know? And, right. And that's why yeah. they're so illiberal sure. in their behavior. So, but the other fine line that I think the problem with just viewing it that way is you will be more likely to overlook, say, people like Laura, who were once in that camp and now aren't. And you're going to be less likely to have compassion for the fact that a lot of those people, some of them can be termed. And yes, maybe they have some cluster B personality disorders and things like that. I'm not saying suffer the abuse and deal with it and just have compassion for the abuser. I'm not saying that. If they are an abusive type person, yeah, you dismiss their assets. But if it's, say, someone like you, Phil, you know, okay, sure, you have autogynephilia. As far as I'm concerned, I haven't heard of you committing any perverted crime or anything. So I did wear I'm, a women's dress in public. So I'm, and they might have a problem with that. But the point is, I'm going to treat you as if, as a person in that regard. Now, if I knew you committed a crime or something like that, then yeah, I'm going to treat you a little differently. I'm going to call you all types of horrible shit. So, but I think they they are always going to lump you in together with the actual auto, like the the auto guy, the criminals, the actual criminals, people who actually have acted on the autogynic feelings and done things that were illegal or perverted and that kind of thing. But I, I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm in the middle here. I think, yeah, we should be calling out the abuse. We should not take it. We should not say it's okay to justify it or whatever, just for all of us to get along. Yeah, draw some boundaries. But at the same time, I do want to have compassion for the suffering. I, I want to understand the same way you do. Why is this happening? Why are people experiencing this? Um, and then how can we mitigate that suffering in some way or lessen it? You know, and if there are ones who want help, we help the ones who want help. And if the ones who don't and they want to fight us, you fight them, you know, and that that's where the line should be. 
so I so the thing is about Genspect is that and and I think Phil's criticism of them is is very valid and I again even though I support them I still hold the same criticism too that they're trying to they're just trying to take on too much again they're just trying there's just so much need in so many areas Genspect began as as actually a parent support organization they were doing uh, support groups and individualized help for parents dealing with trans identified children. Okay. Um, and so it started out more on the therapeutic uh, support side of things. How do we help these kids and the parents, you know, who don't parents, know what to do. But, yeah. but rightfully they've realized that they're not able to do that in a lot of regard because of the politicization of mm -hmm. uh, mental health. Like people, you know, they're hard, it's hard to find therapists because they'll lose their licenses it's hard to even talk about this as providers. So now they're trying to do the political side. I feel like the only, I think the political is necessary, except in two regards. Number one, in a therapeutic setting, you need, you can't have a political bias in a therapeutic setting. Uh, you have to treat things neutrally. And number two, pr uh, research committees that are only dedicated to scientific research and review um, I think in every other, like, and I don't think Genspect can, um, th I think they need to separate into a couple different factions where it's very, very transparent and clear what is the research side, very clear what is the therapeutic and, you know, the other sort of work that they're doing for guidance in schools and political stuff. Mm -hmm. As it is, I think they're very disorganized and they've definitely lost some credibility just from the fact that this this conference was not at all like their first conference this was the second one they had the first one was almost completely medical and uh research based um the second one was mostly political hmm. so um i think those criticisms are valid and um i i hope that there can be like private research committees that uh, are separate from any political stuff like people like james Cantor uh are involved with that kind of thing um, so there is some work being done. Um, so there's some hopefulness, I guess, in that area. Yeah. Um, I gotta wind it down here, fam. Do you want to throw out your final thoughts? Let me know what you think. Um, where do you see things going in the future? Like, um, and, and any future, uh, conferences or events that you guys want to plug or, uh, Phil, you can mention your book and where people can find it. Okay. Um, let's see. I'll start with my wrench in my book. I'm using it as like my book. Um, it's called Auto Heterosexual Attracted to Being the Other Sex. It explains gender, um, the, the transgender phenomenon, the autosexual kind, and it also explains transabled, transage, trans race, trans species. It explains all the types of trans. And it does it in a neutral way that's not judgmental because, you know, the people that have these things are going to be reading it. I wrote it for my people so that they could realize, hey, this is what's going on with me without feeling bad about it. Because yeah. everyone else that talks about AGP just tries to make them feel like shit about it. And I think that's wrong to do to a sexual minority. I, th um, I think because I think if you haven't committed a crime... I'm not going to treat you as if you committed a crime. That's how I right. do it. There's, if you've just had thoughts and shit, like, I can't do anything about that. You know? So, right. Sexologists differentiate between attractions and actions, and, and that there's a difference. One of those attractions is morally neutral. It's just a thought, a feeling. An action does have moral valence because it's an action. And so, 
anyways, yeah, people can um, find auto heterosexual. Just Google the word, um, or just they can find. I also have a Substack where I've uploaded plenty of chapters. You know, phililly.substack.com, and on Twitter right now I'm at autogynephilic. Um, we'll see if that changes. I think I'm kind of shadow banned right now. Laura pointed out that I might be shadow banned, so I, I haven't seen you some... in my feed at all, Phil. And I think I'm yeah. I haven't been posting as much because the whole I, I'm doing I'm working on some stuff in the background that's not tweeting. You know, like wor working on some papers and stuff. Um. But I still, yeah, you anyways, are still ghost banned. Me. Yeah, because I couldn't most, add most you to are. my memes group. Like your name's not coming up in search results. That means your suggestion banned. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess if people want to find me, the it's at autogynephilic. If you just type in twitter.com yeah. slash right autogynephilic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's on the yeah. screen. I'll put it in the, in the description for the episode. Yeah. But. Yeah, basically, that's that's my stuff. If anyone has the type of sexuality wrote a book about, I recommend reading it. Um, if you can buy it, cool. If not, pirate it. I put it in the pirate library. I'm not going to mention the name, but it's there for everyone. Um, yeah. That's very cool of you, Phil. It says you care more about, you know, putting the information out there than... Uh, you know, try to profit off of it. I always yeah, give I've, people props when they put things uh, out in front of a paywall because it just means more people will see it. Yeah, you got to get back. Though, I've stolen so much over the years. Granted, oh, yeah. though, if you did, if you did write a book, you deserve to be paid for that shit. You know, and I'm speaking as a writer here, hmm. and you know, you worked your ass off. That's your thing. You produce it. Yeah, motherfuckers should go buy the book. Daniel's <laughs> written what, five books, yeah. Daniel. Five poetry collections. And five all. poetry like, books. Yeah. Yeah, but I am, I'd like, I was talking to Brent on the phone about this earlier, but I do want to get back into writing more and start getting some essays up on dangerousrhetoric.com and maybe eventually collect them together into another book. We'll see. You have a whole writing section on the website. Anyway, fam. Yeah, we don't really use it. Well, no, we didn't get to Laura. Laura, remind everyone where they can find your stuff, Miss Funk God. Yeah, so you can find me mostly on Twitter, Funky Psyche is my handle. Also on Substack, I do a lot of writing. Uh, also Funky Psyche on YouTube, Instagram, like pretty much everywhere, Funky Psyche. Um, I have a lot of really cool stuff coming up. Um, I have a documentary from Turning Point USA called Identity Crisis. Um, so start looking out for that. It's going to be available. Um, I do a lot of uh, different events. Like this year, I'm trying to focus on colleges. So like speaking at college events talking to college-age students. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're organizing anything like that, just hit me up for that. Um, otherwise, when I is, do... Uh, I, when's the documentary come out? The documentary is coming out um, within maybe a month or so, like February. Um, so it should be out very shortly. Um, but there's a lot of really cool, you know, press I'm going to do around that. So I'm going to be busy being we'll around. Have to, we'll have you back on. We'll have to do a follow-up episode, talk about the film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then finally, I uh, you can find me. I make um, I do graphic design. I do have a, a detransitioner awareness collection. Detrans Awareness Day is coming up. This is the third annual Detrans Awareness Day on March twelfth. So I have like a whole collection, just you know, spreading awareness about detransition, anti gender ideology stuff, anti woke stuff, and then just like pretty cool and funky based stuff. 
So check that out, funkgod.shop. That's where you can support me and my work, which you should. Mm. You should pay me, please. Yes. Uh, <laughs> support the artists, man. Support We're your, your money. money. Yeah. Man. Give me the money. Show Give me the us money. The money. Awesome conversation. Phil, very nice to meet you. Laura, I love you a bunch. And it was very nice seeing you. Love again. you, Dan. Good to see you guys. Brent, Phil, it's good to finally have this conversation. Yeah, everyone. Bit, but like. yeah, glad we're doing it. Like, comment, share, subscribe, throw money at us if you want to help us keep doing this. Uh, we'll be back again with another episode. And yeah, Stay sorry safe. for Stay yeah. Safe. And also sorry for the you know uh, non consistency of our content. It's been. <laughs> I want to apologize. I want to get more episodes out later, guys. Bye. <laughs>